I'm John Bond. Welcome to Move Yourself Happy. Made for fitness enthusiasts who want to make their passion their profession. Are you unhappy in your present job? Are you passionate about health and fitness? Do you want to release your true potential? If the answer is yes, this podcast is for you. I will be teaching you the specific knowledge that every trainer and coach needs to be successful. So listen closely as I share my expertise with you. So just like me, you can love what you do. Welcome back. And uh, of course, Happy New Year. Wow, where did 2023 go? I don't know about you, but as I'm getting older, I find that the time is going faster and faster. Don't know if it's a good thing. Anyway, what I thought I'd do to kick off 2024 in today's episode is I'm going to share with you an interview that I did with Ben Coomba. Now, this is all the way back in 2017, but stay tuned, don't switch off because it is full of useful information that is very relevant today. So if you're thinking about becoming a fitness professional or you're already a fitness professional and you want to be as successful as possible, then stay tuned, keep listening. It's actually going to be in two parts because the interview is over two hours long. So part one is in this episode. And then if you like it, listen next week because then you'll get part two. Now, Ben, if you don't know Ben Coomba, you can look him up. He's on the socials. At the time of the interview, Ben had the biggest fitness podcast in the UK. So he's uh, he's very well known. He's a very wise, knowledgeable guy. He's got a ton of experience. So hope you enjoy it. And as always, leave feedback if you do. Um, I know a bit about uh, this already, um, but just for my students, it'd be great for if you wouldn't mind just sort of telling us a bit about your journey from the moment you decided you work, wanted to work in the fitness industry um, until now. Yeah, so when I was 18, I was obese, and it was the journey of trying to get obese to slim and athletic that kind of got me into the industry because I fell. Well, I wasn't using the right information. I wasn't getting any results, which I'm sure your students can understand. Many of your clients face those problems of like trying stuff and not working. Mm. So I tried to lose weight for five months and I'd lost like five or six pounds, which is obviously crap. Um, So uh, I decided to join the gym. I happened to fall in the hands of a, a very good personal trainer who took me through a great assessment. You know, was just very honest with me and he said, you know what, I think you could maybe change this recommended me a book I went on to Amazon I bought the book which at the time was how to eat move and be healthy by Paul Check. ordered the book read it in the space of a week started to do a little bit less cardio and some more weights I didn't stop cardio but I just did a bit of weight training mm-hmm. did a bit of core training and stuff like that and I lost five uh, like four stone in four months and then the last stone and a half took a little bit longer and it was that rapid change in my journey that inspired me to get into the fitness industry and I actually just did um uh, Paul Check's exercise coach course, kind of a personal trainer course, just to get more knowledge for myself. And mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And then I did this nutrition stuff, and then it just kind of kept going a little bit. And then I went away traveling and came back and kind of just sat down and went, I don't really want to do what I was doing. And then I invested a lot more time and energy into personal training. So I qualified as a personal trainer 
as a nutrition coach and also in massage because massage I felt um, a lot of my clients were asking for it and I've always felt that I've just naturally been quite good with my hands as an artist always worked with clay and stuff when I was a kid so I thought it can't be that hard <laughs> so I did a mas- massage course and added that to my service um, I worked in a studio gym for nine months and that was because the trainer that I'd got the original assessment from in my gym, he was opening up a studio and he said, do you want to come work with me? So I went and worked in the studio for nine months and, and it was a good experience. I learned a lot from them, but being young, I had um, things that I wanted to do and explore and I just felt kind of too settled and bear in mind, I was only 21 at this time, so I was very mm-hmm. young. And decided to go to university, went to university at Hull, and I studied sports performance and coaching, which is kind of basically sports science with a bit more of a lean towards developing athletes and and high-performing individuals. While I was at uni, I obviously covered really fundamental stuff like biomechanics, physiology, psychology, um, different kind of uh, coaching modules about actually coaching children and adults and that kind of stuff, uh, behaviour and interaction. And then in my third year of uni, I did a dissertation it took me uh, nearly a year and I compared two groups of people both 40 people and I compared kind of an individualized approach nutrition compared to the government's eat well plate and we tracked like um, energy mood sleep everything and fat loss the fat loss was similar ish it was better in the group that was a bit more individualized But the big thing that I saw, and this is what got me even more into nutrition, is everyone changed their uh, level of well-being, their health, their sleep. They were just happier, healthier people. No, the individualized nutrition. So at the time, I was a big fan of a a concept called uh, metabolic typing. I'm not anymore. Um, I don't think nutrition needs to go to that level, and Mm -hmm. it's not not scientifically proven. You think it's overcomplicating it? It's overcomplicating it. It Yeah, it's it's one step too far in individualizing nutrition. Mm -hmm. People just don't need to go there. But anyway, the key thing was is we were looking at the person, giving them the best dietary solution, making it as much real food as possible, um, making it as low allergen as possible. So we were looking at potential allergens in the diet and whether anything was uh, causing a reaction. And for me, the results were profound. And they were so profound that um, my university professor marked me down because he didn't agree with the outcome just because it it challenged his opinion rather than looked purely at what I'd done. Um, And that was a real defining moment for me to kind of stand up and challenge other people because I fundamentally saw his opinion as wrong Mm. because I'd analysed the research. The researcher said something different and he was still willing to stand there and go, I think you're wrong and marked me down. And uh, I actually got a secondary assessment on my dissertation when I was at uni and they said I should have got a first. And that annoyed me because I got a first in a lot of modules and I would have come out of and uni with a first. Oh, but I got a 2-1 instead. But anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The yeah. score means nothing. Um, <laughs> now, in my second year of uni, I was fortunate to see that there was a rise in this kind of online community. Everyone mm. was getting on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And I knew that I didn't want to be a, a one-to-one trainer long-term. That wasn't my personal ambition. But I kept being a one-to-one personal trainer till about 2012, 2013. And then I moved completely into the online domain because we started working in, or I started working in education and, and training other trainers. Mm. Um, so in my second year of uni, I started a, an online uh, nutrition business. 
that failed miserably, but I learned a lot. And then I started again in my third year of uni, built another business and um, sort of kept doing that alongside my personal training. The personal training was always the bread and butter of my income. And at the time when I was at university, and I think this is really important for personal trainers, um, I kept testing myself on what I wanted to do. So the reason I went to university is I wanted to be exposed to lots of different environments. Mm. So I worked in elite sport for a year as a volunteer. I worked with Hull KR Rugby League team, which is a premiership rugby team, and I worked in their strength and conditioning department. I worked with kids at a school, so I got to learn how to coach and interact with people that um, literally didn't have many brain cells because kids, they do have a short attention span. So you mm. have you have to manipulate the environment very quickly. Um, and I think that teaches you a lot about coaching people. Um, I also worked in an off-license. I worked in a bar. I was also working as a personal trainer in a fitness first gym and I was doing the online thing. So I was constantly challenging mm. myself. I also got a job as a personal trainer on fitness retreats. So I flew out to Portugal, Mozambique and lots of cool countries and taught people how to be fit and healthy in the space of like a week. Wow. So the key thing there is I kept finding out what I wanted to do. I kept challenging myself rather than just dumping myself in a gym and going, is this right for me? Is it the only option in personal training? And the reality is there's tons of options that people don't look at career-wise. If I think about the way that I teach our nutrition students, I always say to them, okay, you can go and work in a gym, you can go and work in a clinic, you can go and work online, but you could also go and work in schools in councils you could help formulate food products or supplements you could help try and affect change or policy you could work in charities and um, there's loads of environments to apply skill but mm. quite often trainers just think me go into a gym see if i like One it, role. One, it. And it there's just so many different roles um, so in about 2013, we ventured into education. I started to teach trainers online and in person doing seminars. Um, and then that kind of sort of evolved. Uh, we did a lot more coaching. In 2016, I set up a supplement business because of my frustration with the supplement industry. Uh, and then today, I kind of um, mentor and teach people. We educate through nutrition courses. Then we sell supplements. And I just do a few random things to keep me excited, interesting, and testing myself. And that's kind of been the journey to date. Now that you're obviously an inspiration to others, um, what piece of advice would you give anyone starting out in this industry? Work hard, if I'm honest. Um, there's, there's no shortcut to finding the solution or earning more or training more effectively or being great on your diet by just trying harder you know take something simple like i haven't got enough clients well have you worked 16 hours today and trying to recruit clients mm. if you are telling me you haven't then you can try harder there is a solution to your problem and the thing about trying harder and doing more is that you fail quicker and we want to fail as quickly as possible. So if you just ask me one thing of like, Ben, how did you become successful? At a trainer, with online business, with anything, I just fucking worked hard at it. Mm. I read more books than other people. I put more hours in the other people. I became a better writer by writing. And I was a DE student at school when it came to English literature. My, my uh, teachers would routinely say to me like, you need to really improve this. So how did I become a better writer? I just wrote more. Mm. How do you become a better runner? You run more. How do you become a better weightlifter? You weightlift more. So people just have to get that. Um, and, you know, 
I just mentioned my book, which I just recommend to every trainer. It's fucking sixteen pounds. How to be an awesome personal trainer. But I say to people like, um, unless you can stand there, hand on heart, and trainers will do this with their clients as well. Hand on heart, you can stand there and say, I work sixteen hours today in the gym, and I try to speak to everyone, and I try to help everyone, and I try to be there. Until you can say that, you haven't tried hard enough to get your clients. Mm. Just the same as your client hasn't tried hard enough with their diet to not stop putting cake in their mouth. They haven't found the solution yet. And the trainer has to have the same ownership that they expect from their clients. Brilliant. Great coffee, by the way. Um, Are there any uh, books that you recommend on, could be training, nutrition, business, uh, love? Love. Um, That's a really big, hard topic. I've read a lot of books. Um, I... There's a, there's a couple of top ones that really stand out to me, but they're from a life ownership perspective. One of them is uh, Jocko Willink's book, oh, Extreme Ownership. I've read it, yeah. Um, that's an incredible book because it's a mindset everyone has to get into. Mm. Trainer, client, anyone in life. Um, the next one is um, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Again, it's a, it's a life mindset book of like, if I took this mindset into life, I'm going to crush it, and you will. Um, and then probably some books around behavior change and psychology, maybe like The Chimp Paradox or something like that, where, um, again, people just start to understand their brain. Like, nutrition's a pretty simple topic. Mm. right at its core level um, eat real food eat less or more if you need athletic mm. performance get into some timing etc yeah we can go deeper into that we can get really geeky but it's pretty simple um, so most clients are struggling with really simple problems so what is the answer finding a way to communicate those problems in a way they understand and for me that's that comes down to understanding behaviour and, um, and and psychology yeah, definitely. The um, the nutrition side of things, um, I asked, uh, we had, I'm doing a strength and conditioning master's at the moment, and cool. um, we had uh, the S&C coach from Brian O'Valvin come and speak to us at uni, and at the end he said any questions, and I asked about um, whether they have personalised nutrition advisors or coaching for their players, or is it kind of a blanket, you know, this is how you eat well, and off you guys go yep. and bearing in mind pr- premiership football team and uh, he said um, uh, yeah it's a blanket approach I mean the you know he said the guys they know how to eat properly they don't really need help on that um, if we do our pre-season assessments and we find that somebody's carrying too much body fat or whatever then we might ask them to start recording everything they're eating so we can give them um, a bit of coaching on what you know what they need to change but essentially whether you're a professional athlete or you know your Joe Blogs from down the gym. We all really know how to eat properly. Yeah. Um, it's just creating that accountability and, and working on that behaviour change. And, yeah. and as you said, the desire to actually want to do it. Yeah. And then figuring that stuff out. Agreed. <laughs> uh, right. Let's talk about gym equipment. And what's your favourite piece of gym equipment? Oh wow. <laughs> um, it's probably. I'm going to say our body weight. And I'm going to say our body weight because I don't think enough personal trainers respect it no. and use it. So for me, like we can look at a client and go, right, I'm going to teach a client how to bench press. That's great. But they better be really good at a press-up first. And I'm when I talk about a press-up, I'm talking about 
full body tension, being able to pin in the scapula, being able to recruit the chest properly, being able to actually have the shoulder sat in its socket rather than dropping forwards, um, uh, not have the back sagging, not have the neck like coming in. Before a client can do all that, mm. they should not be bench pressing. Just the same as, you know, before they should be doing a squat, it'd probably be important for them to maybe look at like a lunge and then a body weight squat and again progress it. And obviously there's different tools we can use to program that, like I'm a big fan of a goblet squat to teach how a client would kind of like sit back mm-hmm. into it. Um, you know, would I do a lat pull down instead of a chin up? Probably yes, because there's going to be a training stimulus element. But essentially, a lot of people need to learn these movements with mm. their body, like a plank. There's not many people that even do a plank properly. Like they're just on their elbows, sagging around, like just trying to transiently hold it. So. I think people can get a massive amount of mileage and I think it's a hugely satisfactory thing to be yeah, able to definitely. really handle your own body weight. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I the gym it's, cool. It's, it's cool. <laughs> exactly. How many people do we aspire to physically that have mastered mm. their body weight? Yeah. I mean, they, they look awesome for a start. <laughs> 100%. Um, but yeah, if you see someone, you know, doing the, the, the crucifix or whatever, you know, you're like, whoa, that's good. Badass. <laughs> exactly. I saw, um, I was at um, Hove Lagoon and uh, I was taking my um, uh, eight month old <laughs> outfit in the, in the buggy and uh, I saw the, where the bars are, you know, like the, um, the gym bars and she was asleep in the buggy so I thought I can't play around these bars and as I got over there, there was these two guys um, and they were, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in a happy relationship and I'm straight but I, 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 was, I was thinking, these guys, these are hot. These guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were ripped and they yeah. were doing these muscle-ups. It was, it was in the middle of the summer when we were getting that yeah. great weather and they were tan at the tops off. They probably had like 3% body fat yeah. and I was like... <laughs> uh, and I sort of uh, got, got within about three metres and I thought, no, I'm out of my league here and just sort of turned around. We'll do this another day, Betsy. You could have got some free coaching. Well, do you know what? That's... As I went away, I thought that. I thought, oh, John, you absolute worst. You should yeah. have gone back and just, you know, asked for some, for some tips. And, yeah. You know, I could have been, uh, you know, six months later, I could have looked like them. But there you I, go. Bo- I bottled it. Uh, but, but my point was, it's impressive stuff. Mm. Um, but that, totally agree. That, that foundation stuff. I wished, um, I wished uh, as a youngster, the magazines that I was attracted to and read was all about um, people doing that sort of stuff. Mm. But it wasn't. It was, you know, Men's Health and Flex magazine. And mm. I wanted to look like Arnie. Um, so in your head, you're like, right, let's get down the gym and start lifting some weights. But mm. I wish I'd done a good, solid, you know, 12 months, six months foundation of, of body weight stuff mm. and learn to goblet squat. For <laughs> me, it's also a respect thing that we're teaching someone to respect their body on all levels. So we can talk about that from a health and nutritional perspective, but movement, you've got to respect what you've got first before you go, I'm going to add a dumbbell to this hand. I'm going to add a barbell to this hand. If the, the hand and the body can't handle itself, then mm. it's like we're jumping way ahead of where that person's already at. Mm. And there's so much that you can do with body weight. Like a trainer will quite often stand there and go, right, I've got press up, I've got squat, I've got lunge, I could do a twisty thing. But actually, as soon as you learn true diversity with body weight, your repertoire then becomes so much more when you add a dumbbell or a kettlebell or a barbell yeah, or a bag definitely. kind of thing. Um, like so trying yeah. to run before we can walk, basically. 100%. Um, brilliant answer. I love that answer. The body weight thing. Um, okay, what's your least favourite? Um, probably a fixed barbell. Um, I think don't get me wrong there's a there's a massive need for it but 
if we look at the general population, a lot of them have pretty significant movement issues like massive scoliosis in the spine, really tight hips, unbalanced joints, and having something that's fixed is quite often not the best way for them to move. Mm. So I'd probably quite often rather them have just like a kettlebell or a sandbag or some bands that's going to just allow their joints to move a little bit freely. Um, you know, you can look at something like the shoulder press with a barbell. Well, if their shoulder's not moving properly, it's going to be a lot better to have a dumbbell because mm. if one shoulder's more anteriorly rotated than the other, they're constantly going to get an incorrect movement pattern. So I think it's allowing the person, uh, the body to move as naturally as possible. Yeah. Um, so we don't create friction or pain or anything like that. Okay, that's interesting. I've been, um, I've got uh, Mike Boyle's book on yep. functional training, and uh, I read it a long time ago. But I think I read it at the wrong time because I, I, it, it wasn't uh, resonating like we talked earlier about different yep. books. Read it again recently, and I was, I was all over it. I was like, yes, this is brilliant. Um, totally changed how I was training straight in the gym. Everything was down to uh, working unilaterally. You know, dumbbells and ditch the barbell work, and um, yeah. I agree, big fan of all that. My personally is, and I'm only 31, but my joints are a lot better when I train unilaterally. So I'll get kettlebell rack uh, and I'll do like uh, heavy split squats. I'll do like overhead split squats. Uh, I'll do single RDLs. I'll carry a weight with one hand overhead. And I, I do feel my body feels a lot better. It's like it do, just doesn't put as much really heavy torsion through mm. one particular joint. Uh, and I just like that. Yeah, and it you obviously it carries it carries over onto so much, doesn't it? I mean, obviously there's links between how much you can barbell back squat and uh, vertical jump and stuff, but um, whether you actually, especially if you're in a, like a contact sport, or you've got the the armor in place for the for the contact sport, I think the dumbbell stuff and the unilateral stuff is probably better for that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I'd, just to chip in there, I think I'd also, as a trainer, I'd want to assess um, or think critically about. So, for example, you take the back squat. If you try to get a client to back squat and they're just really not back squatting very well, their movement's inefficient, like you can take 10, 15, 20 minutes to warm up a joint, loosen some stuff off, all to get them into that position where you could have spent that 20 minutes doing some walking lunges to <laughs> open up the hips, then got a kettlebell, taught them how to swing, mm. and then bring the kettlebell up into a goblet squat, and they would have already efficiently moved into the squat a lot more naturally through that movement sequence, and they've already burnt more calories. They've learned how to control themselves and an object. And I think when we look at uh, programming in training we often hold these exercises as king like you've got a deadlift you've got a back squat you've got to do this and actually it might be a really inefficient way to get someone to move because the chances are most clients have zero need to back squat 100 kilos mm. I have zero need to back squat 100 kilos what I have a need for is to look good naked because I'm like any human being mm -hmm. I want to perform well in my sport I don't want to get injured and I want to be kind of like functionally strong. I want to be able to move and do lots of different things. So actually, when we look at my goals, it becomes a great thing for me not to back squat, especially as my hips are quite tight. So for me to back squat really well, I have to spend quite a bit of time opening up my hips. Mm. Well, actually, if I get a kettlebell, do some swings, jump into a split squat, then go into some, some walking lunges, and then maybe look at a squat movement that's a lot heavier and stuff. I've already created more training volume, more efficiency, more calorie burn, more variety. It's almost like as we're going through this conversation, we're, we're, we're building up the layers of, of a cake. It's like the base layer is our body weight, 
um, you know, the calisthenics type training, learning how to uh, move efficiently. The next layer is now let's bring in some dumbbell work, uh, work unilaterally, building that joint stability, mm-hmm. um, learn the movement patterns even more. Mm-hmm. Um, b- before we even start thinking about some of the top layers like Olympic lifting, the power lifts, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then to fit into that, I quite quickly would want most trainers to try and get their clients to improve their work capacity. Mm. So I see a lot of trainers sort of shying away from cardio work. But if someone's quite unfit, it's really important to just have a good, healthy heart that can go for a long period of time. So going out for a run, a swim, a row, I think it's really important because once you start to add training volume onto a client, it's going to test their cardiovascular Mm. capacity. Um, I'm a very fit guy in terms of uh, a lot of repeated running. So I play rugby as a scrum half. I'm constantly going back and forth, back and forth. So in the gym, and and I post uh, quite often my training programs online, people will go, wow, you do a lot in your training programs. But Mm. it's because my repeated cardiovascular or my metabolic capacity is very high. So I can do a bench press into a chin up, into something else, into a carry really happily and easily without getting gassed and then do it again a minute later Mm. because I've got really good repeated cardiovascular ability. So how can we improve our clients' fitness very quickly? It does have to have a cardio base in there. And if you you were a strength and conditioning coach in a football club, one of your first things would be to look at cardiovascular base. Every athlete does it, every athlete programming, but we don't do that with our clients because no. we're like, oh, I want them to get stronger and get in the gym and they want to build muscle. That's great, but a cardiovascular base helps everyone. Yeah. So I don't want a trainer to walk, uh, kind of shy away from that and, and not kind of think about it because they're thinking about gym programming. Sometimes just getting out for a run can be the best thing for a client, physically and mentally. Mm. It's getting you outdoors for a start, isn't it? <sighs> yeah. Whether, you know, <laughs> sometimes if you're stuck in the gym, uh, a lot of gyms now they're underground, don't they? they don't have windows, mm. um, and if you work in that gym, <laughs> yeah, you sort of you're, you're in a place that ironically is supposed to be a healthy environment, but actually, is it? <laughs> mm. Just get outside. Um, okay, uh, what is your biggest failure, and what did you learn from it? Biggest failure was surrounding myself with the wrong people at some pivotal times in my life, like thinking that they were there, had my best interests at heart and potentially, you know, and I'm thinking about because I'm someone that owns a company and I hire people um, that I, you know, made the wrong hire. I didn't think through it enough. And I think quite a lot of what we've covered already is about standing back and being really objective and taking time to go through the problem solving process. And every failure that I've had, I've have I've not stood back and thought, what am I trying to achieve here? What do I need? What is the outcome? And then what process do I have to go through to get that outcome? And when I was younger in business and I was trying to uh, progress myself, again, I was getting caught up in the energy of moving forward, moving forward and not stopping enough and just going, hang on, let's stop. Let's really think through this properly. And every time I failed, I've just not thought through stuff enough. Mm maybe ask for advice in the right kind of places or actually I don't know the answer here so rather than guessing just take a bit more time Mm. go and seek the right kind of help go and read the right kind of book and then move forward and I think especially in the fitness industry there is this image or this kind of expectation that we should have all the answers like we should be role models for our clients like we should know all the perfect exercises and the reality is we don't we're flawed creatures Mm. 
Um, so like be honest with other people and be honest with yourself if you don't know something take the time to find out and do it properly because otherwise you're going to fail and then you're going to be pissed off at yourself for failing mm. yeah you can't have any regrets if you've done everything you can if to, you've done to, the work yeah yeah. if you've gone, a, gone at it half assed you're going to have regrets aren't you yep. if it fails um, do you have a, a morning or an evening routine uh, my morning routine no um this I find, especially with coaching people, it works for some people than others. For me, what this comes down to is knowing your inner character tendencies. Mm. So I'm a highly motivated person. I'm very self-disciplined. I have a um, high level of uh, self-worth. And these are all things that I've developed. And because of that, when I get up in the morning, I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing it. Now, my evening routine is probably more important than my morning routine because I program my day before I get up. Mm. So if I was a trainer and I had you know a day full of personal training clients, I would make sure that I understood when my clients were coming in. I understood my jobs for that day. So for example, if I had six hours of PT clients, but I had two hours of admin that I was going to do, when am I going to do my admin? And I book it into my... So everything's scheduled in my life. And then that way I'm really highly efficient. Mm. Um, the key thing I don't do in the morning is I don't turn on my phone unless it's the most important thing for me to do today. So for example, this week, today is a Friday. I've been away nearly all week out of my business. I've been away on meetings and various things. So this morning I got up and I did turn on my phone because the most important thing was for me to answer all of my social media because I neglected it most yeah. of the week. But most mornings I'll get up phone is off and I'm like right what's the most important thing today okay a project I need to write this blog I need to you know help this client like whatever and I do the most important thing because while social media is great it's a massive distraction so for me it's about controlling the distractions mm. in my life and how many people would say oh I'm a procrastinator or oh yeah I'm not very consistent it's because we let stuff in so my evening routine is like my phone goes off at about half nine, quarter to ten. Like I'm in bed by like quarter past ten. Me and the fiance, you know, we have a bit of time chatting and stuff. But, you know, the light is off by like 10.45 at the latest because I know that I need to get up at a certain time mm. to do my work in the morning. But it's about controlling all those environments. So I would just ask anyone watching, listening to this to stand back and say, well, where do I go astray? Where does my attention get wavered? And how can I fix that? Mm. And the chances are it's probably your own fault because you're not controlling the inputs. And as soon as we control the inputs, we're in control. It's good advice. You don't you don't tend to get that message when you, uh, you know, listen to a podcast, watch a video, read a book. They're normally very direct, aren't they? You should be doing this. You should be doing that. And I was reflecting on one of my uh, vids the other day and the the title for it was um, uh, equipment every personal trainer should own um, and I and, I, and it's live and, and I thought oh damn I should have put could <laughs> because actually everyone's we're all adults we've got our individual needs and no one has to do anything do they mm. but you could if you want yeah. if, you, if you listen to the the advice and you think actually yeah that that would work for me then you could own those pieces of kit not you should yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm quite conscious about that and the message I was getting from you then is um, yeah we're all different and yeah. learn what works for you kind of thing there's a, there's a really good book that 
interviews like loads of really successful people on their morning routines and it's amazing how loads of them are really different and they're really different because everyone's different yeah so there's a friend of mine very successful great guy he gets up and every morning he spends 10 minutes meditating he spends 10 minutes journaling and then 10 minutes planning his day Mm. I don't um, have a huge amount of uh, benefit from meditating at this point in my life because I've spent quite a bit of time meditating I do think it's an important process to go through because I think it teaches you to have more of a subconscious meditative state mm. so like you're constantly already kind of meditating mm, when okay. you've been through that process because what really meditation does is it makes you more aligned with your thought processes and mm. your feelings so if you have, have have kind of gone through that process properly you don't need meditation quite as intensively as other people it might be that you need meditation a lot in your life you have a very busy mind because you really struggle to calm it down and get control of your thoughts so you have to have that thing in your life to help control what is inherently maybe a character trait in you and I was you know discussing with this guy I was like um, I've tried all of that I've tried the journaling I've tried various different things and I'm like do you know what I just like to get up in the morning spend five minutes outside just getting the fresh air cold fresh air let my dog have a wee and stuff while the coffee's on the brew and I just crack on with my day mm. that's it um, but that works for me yeah might not work for other people <laughs> I'm I'm in the middle <laughs> um, the uh, the book you mentioned it wasn't a Tim Ferriss book one chance was it it's not no oh, okay um, but I've, I've tried the journaling thing and uh, I haven't made it work for me um, so I've, I've, I've kind of abandoned it and um, for me personally I can totally see the benefits to it for me personally it was a bit too clinical as a daily routine yep. does that make sense I kind of yep. it just it almost felt a bit too serious yep. um, and I wanted to chill out a bit you know um, I probably do need to do the meditation thing there. <laughs> need to work on that yeah I'm a big fan I think journaling um, is a great great skill and resource to use when something is troubling you mm. so if you're not sure how to contextualize something even as a client you've got a client that's got a problem and you don't have someone to speak to or it's not the right time just get a pen and paper and write down the problem mm. and as you as you've probably been aware from doing a bit of journaling when you see it written out you're way more logical about the problem because a problem in your head bounces around like a bouncy ball and you're just like you know you're, you're just trying to catch it and yeah. that's when it you kind of stew over it and the problem just gets bigger and bigger but you write it down and you're like well actually okay, if I could maybe I'll try this maybe I've not seen that uh, and that's where I think journaling is really good because quite often we use journaling um, in people that struggle with like emotional eating you know right sit down write how you feel right now right why food is a support mechanism for you and actually that creates a lot more of a rational thought process but, mm. but um, with people that are generally irrational with their thoughts so it is a great tool yeah again, I like that yeah that's so you basically you, what you're suggesting what I'm, I think you're suggesting is it's almost using it as a reactive tool to a situation rather than grinding it out daily because you, yep. you've read somewhere that some professional or successful coach says you should do journaling every day yep. is just keep it in your arsenal for when you really need it 100% so but now let's think about character types you just talked about being reactive a lot of people we know are very reactive all the time 
Mm, so journaling <laughs> yeah journaling could be really good for them as an everyday practice mm. I'm not a very reactive person I'm very rational very calm so journaling is something that I use very rarely if you're in the middle you might use it two or three times a week because mm. something gets on top of you so again it's about assessing the person and going this person does this as their natural character tendency okay so we know that in this person this process would be really good so for example, we might have a client, they might lie in bed, 10 o'clock at night, we want them to go to sleep because we're their trainer saying you need to get to bed on time, but they're sitting there with a really busy mind, really hyperactive mind, quite emotionally driven, thinking about what happened that day, what's going to happen the next day. They are the perfect client to implement a gratitude log and journaling process for them at night. Spend 10, 15 minutes because they're that type of person that can't get into bed just switch off their mind and go to sleep. Mm. For that person that gets into bed, switches off their mind and just goes to sleep, they don't need journaling. No. They don't need a gratitude log. They're already asleep. That makes perfect sense. Right tool for the right person. Mm. I don't think I needed it at the time. I think that's exactly it. Because I, I addressed it almost like, oh, things going pretty well at the moment. Um, what else can I work on? Uh, I haven't tried that journaling thing yet. Yeah. I'll give that a go. So obviously I didn't need it. <laughs> yep. Um... What has been the most worthwhile invest- investment that you have made? Now, we could be talking about financial investment. It could be a time investment. Um, just emotional in, investment. Uh, in myself. Firstly, in myself. Like, I f- went fully into growing as an individual, emotionally, physically, um, spending time being selfish when I was younger at saying, I, I want to do this. I want to travel. I want to do this. I wasn't held back by anyone. Um, so that's my first investment. Um, second investment was probably investing in my business. You know, I got a loan from my mum for my first ever business for three grand. She didn't get paid back for like two years because I was a student, didn't have the money. But I invested in my business to try and get somewhere. Mm. And, and that was the starting point. And I've constantly reinvested. I mean, you know, today, if we looked at my business, it's a pretty big business, but we're constantly reinvesting in new resources, new systems, new software, because you need to, mm. you need to keep evolving. Third investment was probably investing more time in uh, my fiance, my relationship, um, becoming really aligned with what it is that we're both trying to achieve, trying to really understand her as a person, because she is the closest person in my life. I live with her every day. We have to be at one. I never want there to be any friction or animosity or anger or anything. So um, I think if people can almost, you know, especially if you're young listening to this, if you can go through those three layers, you'll be very successful in life because they're probably the three most important things. Yourself, career, which then puts a roof over your mouth, food in your... um, over your head food in your mouth um, you know supports everything else in life and then your future relationship with someone is again going to be very important yeah absolutely yeah I mean the um, I'm listening to your uh, podcast on money um, and we mentioned earlier about how it's a bit of a it seems to be a bit of a taboo subject uh, certainly in, in our culture to talk about money and you know deep down everybody secretly wants more money but not everyone wants to admit that um, publicly um, and you just mentioned there about a career and that, how that's an important aspect of, of, of happiness isn't it because if you don't have a good career or well, one you're probably not enjoying that mm-hmm. career um, but then you haven't got the money to buy things like a shelter, um, shelter <laughs> food in your mouth and all that sort of thing um, 
and it was good to hear it was quite refreshing to hear that in your podcast because I thought yeah damn right <laughs> yeah let's talk about this yeah why are we pretending that um, you know uh, money doesn't have any contribution whatsoever towards happiness because of of course it does to a point yeah. I don't think it's a, a linear curve you know that graph that just keeps going up and up and up and up um, you know we look, let's look at Donald Trump he doesn't look too happy at the moment does he no. um, <laughs> but well, uh, there's, re- there's research to show that once you get to an income I think it's a I think the level is about £60,000 once yeah. you hit that benchmark there's no they can't see any greater mm. level of happiness it's like diminishing returns or exactly something, it? because at that point you've got enough money to have great holidays nice car good house put good quality food in your mouth have some fun like what else do you need yeah absolutely. the rest is just nicer stuff of the same stuff you already have nicer house nicer car nicer holidays yeah, it's yeah. the same shit yeah um, and I, I don't know how true this is but I've read before as well that they've, um, they've looked at uh, lottery winners and they've uh, and compared them to people that have um, uh, been in a, an accident and perhaps become uh, disabled because of it. And after six months, you know, the lottery winner and the person that's had this terrible traumatic experience, their happiness happiness levels return back to the to the same. Mm. You know, so the traumatic person is awful, but after six months, they kind of they've adjusted. They're kind of used to this new life, and they they can be happy again. Um, and the lottery winner who was buzzing for six months is now back to like okay uh, you know feel pretty much how I did before I won the lottery yeah Um, uh, what are some habits that you have developed that have helped you live a happier and healthier life always making time for some kind of exercise and movement um, and not too much of it like I think too much of it for me is definitely a detriment like the last thing I want to do is get tired or fatigued or anything like that because mm. then I can't concentrate at work and then that impacts my income so that's a problem it also then impacts my relationship because I'm not you know fully there for my partner and you know social events and that kind of stuff so I think exercise is great but don't do too much of it um, the habit of just always eating great food to support my body um, the habit of planning uh, you know it sounds really unsexy and trainers will probably think they plan fairly well but I think most people can plan even better and I, I talk about planning from every aspect of your life planning your clients your social life your food your training like plan it all trainers are quite often great at planning um, their own training and then secondary to that probably their clients and then third to that probably food prep then everything else outside of that just becomes second fiddle Mm. and most trainers I know are working too hard complaining that they're not earning enough money well okay how can you plan to change that perhaps you should have more time off perhaps you shouldn't work every morning and every uh, evening during the week because by the end of the week you're getting burnt out so why don't you have like Wednesday evening off so you can work maybe Wednesday morning and have the rest of the day off because you're working hard the rest Mm. of the week so I think that's a key habit I'm grateful for because um, it, it means I have direction. Mm. I had um, I did some mentoring for a, a chap uh, the year before last now. He was a, a PT and his online presence um, was, was great. I mean, you know, the, in, locally, um, pe- everyone had heard of him and I was sat there mentoring. We kept, people kept going past me and, oh, hello, mate, you're right. Um, so, very, you know, very popular. Um, and on the outside you're like oh my god this guy's doing great what a success and then we, we were chatting and uh, he was working like all over the place so he was yeah. doing seven days a week he was working evenings to really late then he was up really early the next day um, 
he all his money was going to the same bank account. Um, he would spend it all in the first couple of weeks, and then you know the struggle for the rest of the month. Yeah, uh, something coming in towards the end of the year, and he, he wouldn't have the money to pay for it. I mean, it was all he didn't have. Um, he didn't have a set allocated time slots for his clients. Yeah. Um, so it was it, it it was a mess really, um, and yeah. Uh, when you look on the inside, sometimes you can see, actually, you just need to sit down, get a plan, what do you want in life, uh, goal set, um, <laughs> and just take a little step back sometimes and, and evaluate things. So every trainer will go through that process where they try and build up their business and their client list by just working, 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 and filling all the slots they can. And I highly recommend that. Just you know, fill your time, get the clients in the door. But as soon as that happens and you start to feel the kind of stress of that come on, that's when you need to stand back and reevaluate. You need to reevaluate then because you're in a position of strength. Mm. So let's say you're working 40 hours a week. You should, in theory, be earning fairly decent money. So let's say someone's earning at least £1,500 a month, which would probably cover everyone's normal everyday expenses, home, car, or the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So you know that if all you need to live is £1,500 a month as a trainer but you're earning two and a half thousand pounds a month, you've now got a thousand pound buffer to play with while you restructure your business. Mm. So that's where that guy would now need to go, right, I don't want to work every evening now. So I'm now going to tell my clients I'm working Monday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday evening. I'm having Wednesday evening off. I work Saturday morning and then the rest of the weekend I'm off. I'm going to be away for at least one Saturday a week so I can have the whole weekend off and maybe go away with my partner or something like that. But you then need to dictate your business rather than your clients dictate your business because otherwise you're going to burn out. You're going to start to hate your job, hate yourself. Your clients are going to be dictating everything. You're going to be flying everywhere. You're not going to have time to enjoy your social life. You're going to be burnt out by the end of the week and tired. You're going to be getting to your training sessions towards the end of the week and again be tired and then you're not enjoying your training. And I feel that so many personal trainers get to that point and just resent Mm. what they've already created. But if we stood back, looked at all those problems as a business owner and gone, I think there's a couple of solutions here. I'm in a position of strength. I can pivot. Yeah, I'm earning two and a half grand a month, but I actually don't want to work 45, 50, 55 hours a week. I want to earn 20 hours Mm. a week, 25, 30, whatever it is. How do I now pivot? How do I slowly make those changes? And those changes are easy to make if we just plan to make the changes. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, okay, what are your going from a, a positive to a slight negative? What are your pet hates in the industry? Oof, I cover a lot of them. Actually, there's a the last chapter of my book, How to Be an Awesome Personal Trainer. I asked that question to my followers, and in the back of the book, I've got all their responses, <laughs> and most of them stem around a personal trainer's uh, professionalism. So using mobile phones during training, turning up late, not kind of looking presentable, not sending a client, you know, uh, that email when you said you'd send it, like all those little things that just mean a lot to people when you say you're going to do it or, you know, just, you know, if a client pays for an hour of your time, they should expect a full, unequivocal hour of your time. You don't spend 10 minutes talking to that person or five minutes on your phone. 
it's about that person so um, I think it's a personal trainer treating themselves as a professional like if you respect yourself and your profession your client will see that and that you'll get that reciprocal uh, in the world you know don't complain that your clients are cancelling on you or treating you um, you know with a lower amount of respect where you're not even respecting yourself and your business mm. so act like a professional absolutely the phone thing well, yeah that's <laughs> I'm with you on the pet hate thing yeah, yeah. The, uh, I, I say to the students um, that because uh, you can get so many different apps now can't you you know you can get interval times this that and the other um, like I use a, a separate interval timer a gym boss thing I've got a couple of different ones yep uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because um, I don't want to drain the battery on my phone and I can just use the gym boss. Yep. Um, but I don't want to be on my phone when I'm training someone. Um, you know, even even the gym, I've tried I've tried having my own training program on my phone. But I just, I'm not comfortable being on my phone all yeah. the time. I want to put the phone away. Yep. I've gone back to old school. My program's in my notebook. Yeah, me too. On there, in the gym. And I love it. I actually yeah. have a more joyable experience writing in my little journal when I'm training than logging it in my Google Sheets, you know. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. You're, how are you? 31, aren't you? Yeah. Probably, it might be an age thing. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, I, but, I, I mean, this is my diary. It's all handwritten. I don't have a digital diary. My year yeah, planner is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my year planner is all handwritten. Everything's handwritten because, I don't know, I find I have a bit more of engagement with it. And again, the phone is distracting if you're trying to plan the last thing I want to do is have my distraction waver because a Facebook notification has popped up or whatever totally yeah there's a I want to play this or that with you later on and uh, one of them I haven't put on there which I wished I had because it's just come to me now so I'm just going to ask you now uh, Kindle books or paper books paper yeah definitely (laughs) again I want to sit down and read it so I'm either audio learner or just sit in bed and have a good old read yeah, I'm the same. I've got a Kindle and I've got so many books on there, but I just get so much more enjoyment from an actual yeah. paper book. Uh, right, where am I? Okay, uh, before we go into a bit of business chat, um, if you ever feel like life is overwhelming you or you're losing motivation, is there anything you do? Take time off. You just need to reset your boots. Um, if I'm ever feeling overwhelmed or tired, the chances are um, I just need to let myself chill out. Mm. And I don't think enough trainers do it because they're quite often people that are paid per hour and they're scared of taking that time yeah. off. So actually, if you're in that situation now listening to this, you need to plan to have that time off. So in your business model, you know you can't constantly rely on the fact that you have to work 30 hours every week to hit a certain income mm. threshold to just be you know happy and put food on the table it might be that you have to work 20 hours a week so that means that you can drop some hours here and there so one week you could work 30 hours but the next week you could work 20 and then the next week you could just take you know three days on and have a long weekend away Mm. like because you're thinking about your business as a business owner um so yeah it's usually time off and i have two or three days off and i'm usually like back to normal it's yeah, just sounds, about rest. Sounds like good advice. And yeah, I, I can't can't reiterate enough what you just said there about planning that holiday in. So with trainers, um, when they're working out their finances, they might, if they're, if they're clever, sensible, they'll work out how much they need to earn and then work backwards. So what is that going to be per hour? If you're doing that, if you're going through that process, put in the weeks of holiday, you know, give yourself yeah. five weeks, six weeks holiday, whatever it is you think you, 
you need per year and factor that in and probably another couple of days sickness as well yep. although if you're a healthy PT you shouldn't have too much sickness should you hopefully not <laughs> uh, right let's move on to some business stuff um, so what one action has had the biggest impact on your growth as an influencer consistency that's it um, obviously quality of content is important so if you as a trainer are trying to promote yourself on social media, let's say Instagram, and you're posting, you know, stuff that people were posting like a year or two ago in terms of like the style of content, the type of content, you know, things have already moved on. Mm-hmm. So the chances are you're going to have less chance of, of being um, noticed. But quality of content will always come through and then consistency. So I have the UK's number one rated health and fitness podcast. Why? Well, one of the reasons is I've put an episode out every Thursday without fail for five and a half years. Never missed a week. Whereas other people write a blog one week and then not (laughs) write one for two weeks. They'll post on Instagram and then not for another five days. And then they'll post. Like you've got to be consistent. You've got to be consistently saying, hey, I'm over here. I'm saying some good stuff follow me, I can help you, I'm constantly saying that, so I'm posting on social media like most days, and I'm scheduling that content, and I'm scheduling the time to be creative with that, so consistency always wins. So if anyone's um, looking at your YouTube vids, listening to podcasts, uh, and they've been in the industry as long as you, and they think it's not fair, you know, I've been in the industry just as long, um, I've done, until you've posted a YouTube video every Thursday, every week for five and a half years, um, you know, you can't criticise, can you? No. <laughs> Until no. you've done that, um, no. you can't begin to um, be where you are now. Um, what uh, what do you attribute your following to? So you probably got, I imagine, a bit of a niche, niche following, a particular, you know, whether you call it an avatar or um, customer base. Yeah. Um, what do you attribute that to? understanding the people that are following me and posting and giving out content that people want to hear about um so quite often with my social media and today's a perfect example this week a harvard professor said uh, coconut oil is like poison so it's a very on-trend topic Mm. everyone's talking about it so i filmed a video giving my opinion on coconut oil and whether it's poison or not so The reason that's important is because it's relevant and I want to be a spokesperson for what's relevant in health and fitness. So um, it's important to understand your customer, what they want to hear, deliver it in a style that they want to hear it in, either be informative or controversial or funny because we need to tap into an emotion. People like funny stuff. People like controversial stuff. So you need to play into that. Mm. And and again, it's it's about quality of content. So... um, yeah, like, I mean, for example, years and years ago when we went through the intermittent fasting movement and everyone was trying intermittent fasting, mm. I started to talk a lot about intermittent fasting, how I was doing it, what I was learning about it, what the science said. Why? Because it's relevant. So you've, you've also got to make yourself relevant. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked earlier about, I guess, what grabbed my attention and why I started listening and, and watching. Sounds a bit creepy, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> online still creepy <laughs> but anyway um, was mainly to do with like your transparency I, I didn't feel like you were you were building up to a pitch at the end that was going to go so you know if, if so if you get my supplement you too can have abs like you know it was, mm. there was none of that it was just you know you were quite uh, and you, you always came across a sort of person that 
if you were having a conversation with somebody, if they presented some good evidence, you would actually change your opinion within that conversation if that person, um, yeah. you know, had some good evidence. Um, but also the humour. The first video I watched of yours was the... Uh, it was the Herbalife. Yeah. Um, it was the one where you, you take the lid off and... <laughs> Jim Chalk. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, that was my favourite one. So, so that was the very first video I saw. I should like, repost them, to be fair. Yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would give you another little surge. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it, it definitely appealed to my um, sense of humour, that one. Um, have you noticed a surge of uh, followers since you've grown the beard? <laughs> Sorry, that's not question. That's not even down there. But. <laughs> uh, no, I just I, I just love having one. Now I can grow one for a start. Um, and I look so young without one. So that's another reason to have one. Yeah. And I'm embracing my gingerness. <laughs> yeah, so, like, it's funny, isn't it? Because a lot of guys, they're not ginger at all. Uh-huh. And then they grow a beard. It's like, like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> where'd that come from? <laughs> Whereas I'm sort of all ginger. ginger everywhere, really, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay uh, well I've got some things for you to rate we're still on the kind of social media side of things okay uh, can you rate the following out of 10 10 being the most important 1 being the least uh, volume of content creation 6 I think you need to have a good amount but any you know too much you might end up putting people off um, and also the more you put out, the higher the risk is that the content you put out is of a less quality because yeah. you're forcing it. Yeah, of course, yeah. So if I haven't got anything to say on social media, I really question if I force it, whether it's good, again, because I've forced it. So my best social media content is always where I'm feeling quite passionate about it, maybe a bit emotional about it because there's a bit more of an energy about it. Mm. Um, obviously, I don't go too far and get too emotional about it because then that clouds your judgment clouds how you view the topic and uh, look at the sum of all its parts rather than mm. what you're emotional about at that point in time um, but quality of content is always key so if you only put out one video every week just make sure it's the best goddamn video mm. you can put out yeah that makes sense there's a lot of messages out there actually if you googled you know um, social media followings how to improve it whatever there's a lot of it you know volume is king volume is king um, but yeah totally agree because if, uh, if you set yourself a challenge, I'm going to post one video every day, you could be quite stressed that day. Can you go, oh God, I just feel like I've got, you know, the equivalent of writer's block, whatever yeah, it is yeah. when it comes to filming. Yeah. And be like, um, oh God, and, and, you, and you're not getting the best side of you come out then. And 100%. if you've got a load of shite like that online, then yeah. you're going to lose followers. Um, what about uh, community management? So, you know, just, I guess, responding to all your uh, comments and, and engagement, that sort of thing. Yeah, so... Sometimes it can be hard because I can travel for long periods of time, so I'm not always like able to dip in every day. So I make sure I communicate that to my following to say, you know, don't expect me to be there every day. I will get back to you, but it might not be as quickly as you want. I also have people that are in our community. So for example, uh, in our nutrition community, the BTN uh, Academy community, you know, we have someone in there that is a community manager. They're in charge of looking after everyone. Right, brilliant. So don't get me wrong, that's a, um, something I've built up over time because my business is probably bigger than a lot of people watching mm. um, this. So um, set that expectation with your client. Um, a lot of trainers are great at saying, contact me all the time. Like, you know, I'm always available on Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever. And you set yourself up for failure mm. by 
saying that at the beginning you've set that expectation that you will be on hand very quickly mm. so even when I coach someone like after today I'll say to you from this at this um, you know this meeting we're having you know send me an email let's follow up let's do this and I'll get back to you within you know probably four or five days like if I've got to put some time into the email that's what it's going to take um, and it's important I set that expectation with you so you know where you stand Yeah. Um, so trainers need to do that as well so by all means have a community but set your boundaries because otherwise um, it will stress you out like I've said that before and many trainers do it contact me all the time and then when a client's like why didn't you respond to my text message at 8 o'clock last night and it's like oh I was out for dinner with my girlfriend yeah. but you've already set that expectation that you will be there instantly yeah. Yeah, we talk about we have we have um, uh, terms of service which we were discussing earlier, um, and it talks about when you can contact us and when you'd expect a response. And before we had that, um, yeah, very much so in the early days, it was like, oh, call you know, call any time, and then you'd feel like you'd have to respond mm-hmm. straight away. And I'd get texts on a you know Sunday night, I'd be watching Game of Thrones with the missus, and yeah. you know, and, and I'm like, it's a good bit, and I'm trying to yeah. get back to a student. And um, I kind of one day thought actually yeah well that's great I'm getting back to them really quickly I'm not being a very good role model you know I'm no. trying to teach these students to have successful happy careers and they need to have a balance and they need to when they're with someone they need to be with that person yeah. don't they and not you know always answering their phone so um, yeah <laughs> I had to make some changes there myself 100% um, what about uh, outreach to other influencers do you work on that at all so, you know like strategic partnerships or you know. yeah all the time um, because I've got my podcast I'm always getting guests on the podcast mm. that you know are in America do other cool things have written a book so yeah I mean you know the power of team which is essentially you're doing you're creating teamwork around your message is really important um, you know as a trainer I think it's important to know where you're at don't not be aspirational don't say I want to contact that person because you know they've got a good following I love what they like etc you know for example if someone contacts me on Instagram and they've got you know 500 followers and they've got a podcast I'm like like that's great and I'd love to support you but I am playing at a different level I've got 35,000 followers on Instagram I've got 140,000 downloads a month on my podcast like I want to be working with people in a a similar bandwidth so that's always going to happen so don't get disheartened if you contact you know some celebrity footballer and they're like sorry dude like you know I don't have any time for that Mm. because they're again they're working with people in a similar playing field so it's like anything you've got to slowly in a career you've got to slowly work your way up you've got to achieve Mm. the layers and if you want to work with different people with higher influence you've got to earn the right to be noticed by those people yeah that makes sense yeah Um, so if I sit here now and go right I'm going to contact The Rock now I want The Rock to be on my podcast there's no chance in hell The Rock is coming on my podcast Mm. so I might say to myself well how could could I could put a good word in for you if it helps that would be great thank you um how could I get the rock on my podcast? Okay, so I need to get myself in a position where he would look at me and go, "Mate, this guy, this dude's cool. He's doing mm. some really good shit. He's got a, you know massive following. I think there's be some huge value there, um, and that that would be a goal that I would then have to methodically work towards." Mm. He's a. I saw um, a, a talk that he did to the LA Lakers. Have you seen that at all? It's quite no. recent. He they hire him to come in and talk to the LA Lakers about yep. basically managing your success. 
And God, that's a tough job, isn't it? You're talking to elite athletes at the top of their game, earning more money than most people in the world. Yep. Um, you know, they could retire tomorrow. They've learned that much already in a week. Um, what do you say to them? Um, and uh, it's two parts. I mean, it's in the first half, but it pretty much it came out to me that it was, you know, try not to be a dick along the way, basically. <laughs> you know, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, don't don't stay hungry. You know, yeah. um, he said whenever he, sometimes he feels like he's back. If he's backed in a corner, he just you know goes forward. You know, when he feels overwhelmed or stressed, he just moves forward. I quite like that. But um, yeah, I like the idea of you know, if you are becoming more successful, mm-hmm. one of the big things you have to keep reminding yourself is don't be a dick. Yeah, yeah. I've just written that down. I'd love to go and watch that. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's an interesting guy, isn't he? Um. I think I covered most of that, yeah. Which channel or vehicle is your biggest revenue driver? Instagram stories, because it's very personal. It's a, it's kind of a, an insight into what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So that's our biggest converter. We also... Oh, sorry, um, I, uh, I don't know if that just... Stopped. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> um, so we've also got a Facebook group now. Our Facebook groups are good because, again, you get really intimate conversations. So... Um, if people want to support their business ecosystem, the closer a conversation you can have with someone, the better chance you are of building a relationship. And res- relationships create transactions. Like you and me have built up a relationship um, over distance, but you've invested time in digesting my, you know, my content and what I do, and think, oh, there's value there. Mm. I want to, I want to increase that transaction. I want to have a, a closer opportunity to share thought. Um, and trainers need to do that. It's like on the gym floor. How can you spend time talking to the same lady over the next couple of weeks to create an opportunity where there might be a greater, deeper, meaningful transaction? Mm. Um, so any any social media platforms that help you generate that, you're going to have a better chance of you know building your community and building your client base and stuff. Great. Um, where do you say most of your, um, it sounds like a, a bit of a crude word, but leads, I can't think of any other way of describing it, prospects, leads, uh, where do they come from? YouTube, podcast, Facebook, Instagram? Um, I'd say that is the same question as the last thing because leads really will generally convert to revenue if we look at just it being a numbers game. Um, kind of with my work, it all works in quite a big ecosystem. So the podcast for me is a great way to just communicate with people and, and kind of level with them and just have a bit more of an intimate chat. Mm. Email and Facebook is the way that we try and sort of directly convert a customer and say, hey, we're doing this. Yeah. Would, you, would you like it? Like kind of a bit more of a direct sell. And then kind of like Facebook and Instagram is a bit more of a middle ground where we're talking and educating and explaining. And then that leads to the more direct sale. So I think all of these things kind of, they work in layers of helping a person understand you so that you can potentially, you know, have them as a client in the future. Mm, yeah. If they want more of you in their yeah. life, then they can pay for it. Yep. <laughs> Um, if you were building a team to manage uh, the success of a new trainer, what positions would the team consist of? So even if the trainer stays as a one-man band, the trainer needs a team in terms of referral network. Mm. So every trainer needs to know a brilliant physio, brilliant osteopath, a brilliant counsellor, like all the people that would help them support you know, one thing I did when I was a young trainer is I thought I could solve every problem. And to be frank, it's bullshit. You can't solve all people's problems. 
if you're sitting there thinking, do you know what, I genuinely think this client needs to go and see a back pain specialist or a counsellor, it would be unethical for you to keep training their client when they need a different specialism in their life. Mm. So you need to sit down with that client and say, I know a great physio, I want you to go and see them, your back pain's more than I'm happy dealing with or you know, is in within my remit. Go and spend like two weeks with them and then come back to the training or maybe we'll see the physio while you train with me but we'll do some lighter stuff maybe we'll do swimming twice a week and then we'll just do some upper body work and we'll make sure you know we're not stressing the back we're sitting you down all that kind of stuff you make the appropriate um, changes so I think that's very important Um, after that I think uh, the team then comes from where you develop friction in your business so the first place that I had friction in my business was things like emails like things that were taking me away from just doing my actual job Mm. so that's when I got a PA and I got a PA to help organise my emails and just liaise with people and just bring everything together so it might be that a personal trainer gets to a point in time where they have a a PA for like literally an hour a day Mm. and that helps with leads and helps organising their time and all that kind of stuff and really if you pay a PA 12-14 pounds an hour and you're earning 25, 30 pounds an hour, then you've already created an efficiency in your business. Mm. After that, you know, it might then be that you bring on board a great partner in crime. So you might want to run a boot camp, but a boot camp really needs to run every week, three, four, five, six days a week. You're not going to be the guy or girl that can do that all the time. So it might be that you set up a boot camp with someone else. Mm. So they can run a couple of sessions a week. You can run a couple of sessions a week. When you're on holiday, they can cover you and vice versa. And you can make more of a success of it because, you know, for example, a male and a female team could work really well because most men would probably quite like to be trained by a guy, a bit more macho, that type of training. Most women would probably like to be trained by a woman, especially initially because it's safer. They Mm. feel more comfortable. So it's about just looking at your business, saying, where do I need to go? Let's look strategically at the finances. So for my example, it made sense for me to get a PA because then I can spend more time doing what I need to do and actually bringing in you know, more revenue mm. and coaching clients. Focusing on what you're good at. Yeah. Um, and then probably another thing that might support that is your finances, like get an accountant. Don't bother doing your own accountancy. Second like, that. you know, just most trainers are not going to be good at numbers. So just get a bookkeeper you know, pay that thousand pounds a year or whatever, it's going to be well worth it. Mm. So you can just get on and do what you want to do. The last thing you want to do is get to a Sunday at the end of the month and go, oh, I need to sit down and do my books. Oh man. Just I give that to someone way. else and go and have a pint. <laughs> yeah, horrible. Yeah, my first uh, business, uh, being the first time being self-employed, I did exactly that, left it to the end of the year and then you're going through receipts then you realise you haven't kept all the receipts and you're, oh, it's, it's horrible, isn't yeah. it? Um, but no, no, don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, right, brilliant. Thank you for that. There we go. That's all you're getting today. That is part one. So if you enjoyed that, don't forget to tune in next week for part two. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, something you can do for me is subscribe to my show. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in this content, then please share it with them too. You can also head over to our socials and follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. But if you're ready to take that next step, visit our website 
www.stormfitnessacademy.co.uk fill out a contact form that will come straight to me I will contact you shortly afterwards and I look forward to speaking to you then.